to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I am delighted that you are here. I know I say that a lot, but I truly mean it. You know, when I sit alone in my office and I record these podcast episodes, I really am thinking about you all. Like, I'm kind of imagining that, like, we're connecting and we're hanging out and we're having a conversation. So I hope it feels like that. Um, I am really excited to talk about something that I think about a lot, and that is my dog's behavior having absolutely nothing to do with me. (laughs) It's a really good one. I'm really excited to tell you all about it in this episode, but before I jump into today's topic, I want to read a recent podcast review. I will be honest, I read this review and I full-on just burst into tears because it made me feel extraordinary. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and read that review for you right now. I first discovered Rachel through her Instagram and then proceeded to binge the vast majority of her podcast episodes. While dogs and their well-being are clearly at the heart of her work, she also does a fantastic job of centering the average dog guardian and validating our shared experiences and struggles. She makes dog training fun, approachable, and realistic. I'm also a huge sucker for the case studies. Not only have I gained a ton of practical advice for life with my dogs, I've gained a community and connections thanks to the way that Rachel brings like-minded folks together. Making me tear up again. So Jenna, thank you so very much for leaving that review. It means the world to me and I am honored to know that I can connect you with amazing dog guardians. So If you have been a longtime listener and you have not left a podcast review, it would mean a lot to me if you could leave a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. Um, I think that the more reviews that Disorderly Dogs has, hopefully the easier it is for reactive dog guardians like yourself to find the podcast, and hopefully we can help empower them to enjoy their lives with their dogs more. Because let's be honest, there is a lot of terrible dog training advice out there. Um, So please, if you haven't left a review, I would be honored if I could read yours on air next time, maybe. All right, so let's talk about your dog's behavior having absolutely nothing to do with you. So I want to kind of preface this by this is something that over the last 10 years of my professional career, I feel like I kind of like understand it and see it in a new light every time I meet a new dog and a new handler and every time I see people out in the world doing things with their dogs. As you can imagine, I'm sure that this is you too. I am doing it's just so much observing of like the canine human bond, right? And like what that looks like in real life and what people are doing and what's working and what isn't. So um, I think that most of you who are listening are here because you are an extraordinary dog guardian, right? Like you are not the average dog guardian. You want to go above and beyond to make sure that your dog's life is amazing. And I think that a lot of us, because of that framework, right? That we want to show up, we want to like give our dogs the best lives we possibly can. I think that often we kind of fall victim to putting too much weight into what our dog's behavior says about ourselves. Please know that this is 
me, right? Like I'm absolutely living this, breathing this. Yes, I'm a professional trainer, but I'm also a human being. (laughs) I'm also just straight up a dog mom, dog parent, dog guardian, just like all of you. So I think it's important for us to realize what actually matters (laughs) when it comes to what we're doing in our dog's behavior, but also understand the aspects of our dog's behavior that really have nothing to do with us, okay? So I know that it's really easy to see other people like out in the world with their dogs and we get this glimpse and we feel like, oh my God, that person put no effort into training and look, their dog's amazing. And here we are, we put all this time and effort into training and it doesn't show. (laughs) And I think that it's really easy to tie up a lot of like our worth and what feels good in by others, putting a lot of weight in others' perceptions of our dog's behavior, right? Like, let's be honest, it feels pretty freaking awesome when you're out and your dog is behaving like a rock star and people notice it, right? Like that feels awesome. But I want to encourage you to take away some of that weight because it's not really about validation from other people. (laughs) What it's really about is the cultivation of the relationship with your dog and how you both can grow and learn together. I want to talk about some some ways in which your dog's behavior literally has nothing to do with you. Like you could do a million things and this probably wouldn't influence your dog's behavior. So there's several ways that this presents itself. Obviously, your dog's genetic makeup has a huge influence over their behavior, which you cannot change, right? Like you can select for and choose breeds that do things that you like and bring them into your lives. And that's something that I did bringing Waylon into my life. So those of you who've been on this wonderful disorderly dog's journey with me already know about this, right? I had two um, male bullies prior to Waylon. Um, we had Hilo, who is an American Pitbull Terrier, and Sunny, who was primarily an American Staffordshire Terrier, but a couple other breeds mixed in there. Both of them were rescue situations, and while I loved both of them, they both could be very dog aggressive, and Hilo could also be people aggressive. And those two taught me a lot about the fact that there was <laughs> some things that about their behavior that I couldn't change. I couldn't influence. That's just who they were. So as you can imagine, right, after living with and managing those boys for many, many years, when I was ready to bring a new male dog into my life, I very intentionally sought out a dog who had the highest probability of being dog social and in turn non-dog aggressive. I did go the breeder route for that. And the reason I did that is because I contacted my breeder and I asked her about the temperament and personality of both um, Waylon's parents. Bella was the mother and Chance was the father. And she was able to tell me that both dogs are wildly successful with other dogs. She's never had any incidents of aggression with either of them. And I felt really good about the probability of Waylon being dog social. Obviously, there were things that I did to continue to improve that. But as a baseline, I knew that he came from genetic makeup of dog sociability as well as people sociability. So um, if you're looking for a new dog, obviously, there's a lot of things that you can learn and understand about the genetics and the breed um, predispositions that you may be bringing into your life. But I know that a lot of you aren't in that boat. (laughs) You already have the dog and you're like, okay, cool. So we have this dog, mixed breed, maybe it's, you know, a purebred dog, but you're, you're just kind of 
coming to terms with who the dog you have is. So it's really important to remember that our dog's genetic makeup, our dog's breeds are going to have a huge influence on their behavior that in the long run, there's not a ton we can do to influence outside of their early socialization window, but there's still no guarantees in that. Okay. So I know you all have heard me talk about the book, Meet Your Dog by Kim Brophy. I know a lot of you have read that book and I really hope that it's helped you understand your breed a little bit, but um, breed or mixes of breeds. If you are struggling to understand your dog's behavior and you're feeling a little resentful or kind of like shit because your dog (laughs) embarrasses you in public, do me a favor, read me your dog because I think it's really going to help you find a new appreciation for who your dog is kind of like at their genetic core. I want to talk about just like a few things in the breed group that for me I have observed and found to be particularly relevant. So as many of you know, if you follow me over on Instagram at a good feeling underscores NCO, a big part of my life is adventuring, right? Hiking, paddleboarding, camping, and I'm always observing dogs in those environments, right? And kind of like understanding like what breed tendencies lend themselves really nicely to like adventure dog skills. And I think that something that I observe a lot is that the herding breeds, right? So herding breeds, corgis, border collies, aussies, cattle dogs, um, their natural tendency is to stay closer to the human and be pretty responsive to the human. Um, And I think that that lends itself really nicely to some adventure dog skills, right? And I think that that's something that like in my early days, I would see someone out with a border collie off leash and they weren't even paying attention to the dog at all. The dog was just following them. And I was just kind of like, WTF, I've worked so hard to get my dogs to stay close and they don't want to stay that close. And I'm, I'm realizing, right? And I continue to realize and understand on a deeper level that that's a lot of behavior that that human really didn't have any influence over, right? Like while they look cool in public because the dog stays close, um, they didn't really do anything about that. The, the, The dog kind of came with that behavior set. But on the flip side of that, the herding breeds will herd things. They will chase, they will nip. And that can become really challenging in other aspects of living and existing with a herding dog, right? I see a lot of leash reactivity in herding dogs, especially to cars and bikes, things that are in motion. And again, that's behavior that they came with, right? It was hardwired, <laughs> staring at things, chasing things, nipping things, herding things. Um, so, you know, I think that that's something that if you're out in the world and, and your greatest desire is for your dog to be really good off leash and you do not have a herding breed and you see someone with an Aussie and it feels like they're doing nothing, you have to remind yourself that it's not because that person is better than you. It's not because that person has done more training than you. It's because that dog is different than your dog. And that as a baseline makes it easier for that dog to stay closer to the handler. I hope that this is making sense to you. So I want to talk about two more breed groups because again, right? Like these are things that I have observed and kind of internalized over the years. So let's talk about bully breeds. So as you all know, Waylon's an American Tafter Terrier and he is bully breed. So something that while obviously I, I, I saw out dogs who were dog social, many bullies come pretty social with people. 
right? Like generally speaking, most bulldogs will be pretty social to people. The dog sociability, there's a lot of variation, but that is something that you kind of inherit for free in a lot of ways is that most bullies are usually quite people social. Not always. I know a lot of you listening like, I have a bully and they don't love people. I hear you. I'm stuck. I'm speaking generally here. Um, and you know, something else that is really lovely about bullies is that they typically are very people social and they're also kind of like, that lovey-dovey dog in a home setting, right? So they like to snuggle, they want you to touch them, they want your attention, and that can feel really freaking good to to be uh, needed in that way. <laughs> um, and that's something, right, that like genetically speaking, a lot of bullies just kind of come with. Something else on the flip side of that is that bullies are athletes and they really typically have no aversion to leash tension whatsoever. (laughs) So getting a bully to walk nicely on a leash can be very, very challenging. So if you have a bully and you've been working on their leash skills forever and you always see Karen out with her Labradoodle who's so good on a leash, I want you to realize that you have a different breed of dog and you have gotten a lot of awesome skill sets and, you know, walking nicely on leash is one you're just going to have to work a little bit harder to get. Um... I also want to talk about bird dogs. So this has been coming up a lot in my in-person work here in Denver. And um, bird dogs, right, we're talking Vishlas, Labradors, German short-haired pointers. Um, I think that's something that you're, you're going to have to really come to terms with or understand is that bird dogs have a very evolved sense of smell for their work hunting birds. So if you are easily frustrated because your dog is constantly sniffing and you feel like you've worked so hard to get them to not constantly be sniffing, but they're still doing it, it's because of their genetics. It's not about you, right? (laughs) Right? They just come pre-programmed like that. So if you have a Labrador who cannot get their nose off of the ground, it's not about you. It's about them, right? It's about the fact that scent is highly rewarding for them based on their breed. Okay. On the flip side of that, right? Bird dogs are often very people and dog social, often not terribly aggressive in any way. (laughs) They often are not terribly mouthy or bitey because they have a soft mouth because of their work. So again, y'all, I'm speaking in a lot of generalizations here, but the point I'm trying to make is that based on your dog's breed, a lot of their behavior literally has nothing to do with you. (laughs) That's how they came. That's how they're hardwired. And that's why they behave like that. And while from the outside, it might feel like like, oh my God, you know, Joe Schmo is like dog trainer extraordinaire. He may not be. It, it may actually just be that the dog kind of came like that and that dude got really hella lucky. <laughs> okay. So something else I think you have to understand about your dog's behavior and really it having absolutely nothing to do with you is that your dog is their own being, right? They have their own motivations. They have their own desires to feel safe, to do what feels good. And the motivations is an element of your dog's behavior that you can influence more, right? And it will take time and we're never going to be able to shift 
a bird dog away from like a very heavy scent drive. (laughs) It's not going to happen. What we're going to do is we're going to utilize their scent drive to get more of what we want. So I think when we're talking about motivations, that's when we're kind of like bridging into the, your dog's behavior can have a little bit more to do with you, (laughs) right? You can influence your dog's motivations a little bit, but there is a stopping point there, right? So I think that understanding your dog's breeds, mix of breeds, your dog's motivations, that's going to make it so much easier for you to spend really productive time and energy on shifting their motivations into something a little bit more that we want, right? So for Waylon, as you can imagine, leash skills have have always been a work in progress. And something that I've done and, and I really feel good about is that his leash walking behaviors are really quite nice these days. This is not something that was natural for him. This is not something that he was motivated to do. But over the last five years, I have been able to deposit enough reinforcement in the re- enforcement history for him that now he is motivated to walk nicely on a leash and that behavior does absolutely have to do with me okay and I think that understanding your dog's motivations instead of working against them utilizing them to your advantage is just going to make life so much easier and you are going to be able to influence your dog's behavior a little bit more another element of your dog's behavior that sometimes can be about us sometimes is not about us is the environment, right? Like where we're existing and what's happening. Um, A lot of dogs I deal with in my work are very fearful, fearful of loud noises, sudden environmental changes, things that we never could have imagined a dog would be afraid of. And those are behaviors that you probably didn't have a lot to do with unless you like I don't know, smacked your dog over the head with a muffin tin and now they're afraid of muffin tins, then yes, that behavior does have to do with you and you're an asshole and don't do that again. But for the majority of my clients whose dogs experience extreme fear, it really has nothing to do with the people, right? Like they literally are doing their best, but the dog is perceiving the world in the way that they're perceiving the world. And it makes them really challenging for them to feel good, right? They're they're constantly in a state of how can I be safe, worry, and all of that good stuff. And some of the environment, right, we obviously can't change, but some of it we can. So I really think that understanding that your dog's behavior in certain environments is that, right? The behavior is responding to the environment. So as much as you can understand that and manipulate the environment in your favor, then your dog's behavior does have to do with you, right? Because you're helping them to feel safer or better or less distracted or whatever it is. But you can't always control that. So I think it's really important that we remind ourselves that we're doing the best we can. And sometimes we can control and manipulate environments. Hells yes, good for us. Sometimes we can't and that's okay, right? And our dog doing something is not a reflection of our worth or anything like that. Oftentimes it's just in response to the environment. I want to give you I want to give you an example. So recently I was on a hike on a narrow trail that was very very busy. There was a hiker coming up with an adolescent golden retriever who I knew Waylon would probably be a little grumpy with if it came right in his face. So I tried to pull Waylon off the trail, right? So I'm trying to control the environment. I'm trying to give Waylon a little bit more space. And this girl was absolutely not paying attention whatsoever. She was looking for her phone and the dog... (laughs) walked right up to Waylon, who I was holding his leash, and Waylon promptly lunged and snarled at this dog, and I (laughs) fell down. 
And in that moment, I could have been frustrated at Waylon and been like, dude, you're such an asshole. Why you got to do that? But instead, what I realized is that I did everything I could to manage Waylon's behavior and my behavior, but I couldn't control the environment because this girl was not paying attention and she led to this end result. Okay. And I think that that's something that's helped me tremendously, like not only in my personal life, but clearly in my relationship with Waylon is realizing that like a lot of his behaviors and things that happen sometimes are not even his fault or my fault. It's just other things. And that's okay. That's just going to happen sometimes. That's just life. So it's important to remember that, you know, your dogs breed, their motivations and the environment can all have really huge influences over their behavior, which a lot of times there's nothing you can do about, right? So there's obviously things that we can influence in our dog's behavior or I wouldn't have a career as a dog trainer, right? There's a lot that we can. But I think that it's really important when you are out in the world and maybe you're feeling low, maybe you and your dog didn't have a great day and you observe someone out who the dog is seemingly perfect and the handler seemingly didn't do any work to get there, know that that is not the true picture, right? And it's not because this person is extraordinary and they're the best dog trainer in the whole world. It's because, you know, their dog's behavior is a lot about their dog, really not a ton of human influence. Remember that when it comes to our relationships with our dogs, it's about that trust, that reinforcement history, that constant learning, growth, and evolving. And I think, unfortunately, because of the nature of our emotions connected to our dog's behavior, that is why there are still trainers who are charging a lot of money to harm dogs in the name of training, right? And I think that you have to remember that we cannot punish a dog into a box. I mean, I think sometimes people are, but that's highly unethical. My guess is you are here because that's not the type of relationship you want with your dog. So I want to just leave you with just a few final thoughts on this. So I want to encourage you not to compare yourself to other people and what they're doing with their dog. I am human. I follow tons of people on Instagram who seemingly have the best dogs ever and they've never done a training a day in their life. But something that is really helpful is for me to understand that it's not really because that person is amazing. It's because those dogs are amazing. I don't want to discredit the time and effort you all have been putting into your dog's behavior. My goal really with this episode is to help you understand that despite your time and energy, some of the behaviors just have absolutely nothing to do with you. And that's okay. That's actually a really nice thing to know so that you don't have to spend precious time and energy feeling shame, worry, frustration, guilt over your dog's behavior, okay? Remember that our dogs are individuals. They are their own selves. Yes, we are their guardians, but that doesn't mean we can modify, change everything about them. And that certainly doesn't mean that their behavior is a reflection of our worth, of who we are. Um, So I hope that this makes sense. Um, Sometimes I record these podcast episodes and I'm like, Rachel, is anyone going to understand this? So if you like this episode and it made sense to you, do me a favor. Take a screenshot and tag me over on Instagram. You'll have some really awesome episodes coming at you in the future. If you have a topic suggestion that I have not yet covered in nearly 200 episodes of Disorderly Dogs, you can leave that suggestion over on DisorderlyDogs.com. Um, I recently released Adventure Dog Academy, the free mini course. Y'all, I'm so excited. Adventuring with dogs is the best, and I'm so excited to share my tried and true training skills with you. So 
If you'd like to join the free Adventure Dog Academy mini course, there is a link to that in the show notes. We also have a free reactive dog mini course. So if your dog is barking lunging and you're like, what do I do about this? We got you. We got a free course for that. Reactive Redefined is going to open again in April. So if you would like to be a part of group coaching and one-on-one calls for your reactive dog, that will reopen in April. And if you need one-to-one support, you have questions, we offer 45-minute virtual sessions for $55 and you can register for those at a goodfeelingdogtraining.com. Everyone, smooch those puppies for me. Have a wonderful weekend and I am already looking forward to the next episode. All right, everybody. I know that CBD is a hot topic and rightfully so. There's a lot of misinformation surrounding CBD, but I tell you what, there's a lot of pretty amazing evidence for how amazing CBD can be for not only humans, but also for our pets. Uh, The ladies at VetCS were on the podcast recently. It was episode 148. Give it a listen. You will learn a lot. Um, But I use VetCS products for me. I use VetCS products for the dogs. And I tell you what, Tiva, as she ages, the CBD is just amazing for her arthritis. And Waylon greatly benefits from the CBD too. So if you've been considering CBD for you or for your pet, check out VetCS.com. And you can use code DisorderlyDogs for 10% off your first purchase. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you need help with your dog's behavior, you can learn more about our training services at agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. We post training inspiration and training tips almost daily over on the Instagram at agoodfeeling underscore NCO. If you like this podcast, we would be so grateful if you could share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from all of the information. Um, It's been a total delight. We love this podcast so much. And thank you so much for listening to Disorderly Dogs.